0: Hi everyone. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual.
1: I'm David Campbell.
0: And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM.
1: Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Uh
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bring With BIM. I'm Joe Whitney and as always with me is Dave Campbell. What's going on, Dave?
1: Hey, not much, Joe. Glad to be back
0: for another episode. I know, man. I know. It's been too long. Before we dive into that, though, I got an important question for you. What are you drinking? Man, I am drinking
1: a, uh, a staple. Uh, I am drinking an old-fashioned. I haven't made it an old-fashioned for myself and I don't even know, probably at least a few months, probably two, three months. And uh, I was like, man, this is first growing with them episode in a while. I think I'm going to go with an old fashioned.
0: Are what about you, are you what kind of whiskey is in there? Oh, I
1: actually I went with a um oh, Elijah Craig.
0: All right. There you go, man. Elijah yeah. Grace. Good. Good standby. Yep,
1: uh, yeah.
0: I, I am drinking uh, trying to be healthy here, dude. Don't 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 uh, knock me. Uh, I'm drinking Corona light.
1: (laughs) Hey, man, that's all right. You know what I like about Corona's is they are I mean, they are. It's a light beer and you can actually have a few of them. I love a heavy, dark beer or an IPA, you know, like a a West Coast IPA. But, man, they fill you up so fast and then they make you feel bloated, I feel like.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you can have two and then you're done for the night. Whereas yeah. the Corona, you know, Corona lights, I, you know, any light beer for the most part, you drink five or six you should be all right, man. It's, uh, it's just, you know, it's good day drinking beer. If you ask me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, well Hey man, earlier before I got into it, I started saying, um, you know, how, how it's been a while and, and it has been a while. I mean, you and I, it seems like we're getting further and further between the episodes, um, which is why I'm excited to talk about today's, uh, uh, content and today's guest um you you know it's easy to have a passion for things like we are very passionate about what we do but we live full-time lives with full-time jobs with full-time kids Dave you've got a dozen or so over there man Uh, (laughs) I got half a dozen almost over here (laughs) half a dozen there you go man I've got (laughs) I've got three myself and uh it just seems like uh you know you know, now's the time to start expanding the team. We need we need to add some some uh, some more passion, some young blood in here, some uh, somebody with a knack for creating content. Which is why I'm excited today to introduce today's guest, uh,
2: Mr. Jordan Bullock. Hey Joey. Hey David. Uh, hey, how's it going, Jordan? Not bad. Uh, i want to thank you guys for for bringing me on I'm very grateful to be here and uh potentially be a host to the podcast and hopefully I can bring a little bit of a new perspective and uh bring something that is valuable to the audience here and I'm excited to be working with you guys
0: well you, you've already wowed us with quite a bit of your uh experiences and backgrounds just talking off air about technical editing uh for uh, podcasts and audio and video and all that fun stuff even graphic design to an extent like you've You've got a pretty robust uh, or at least um, well-rounded experience. And, you know, I just want you to chat a little bit, if you don't mind, about uh, what makes you you, what you're passionate about and, um, you know, kind of how you got to where you are today. Tell us who you are.
2: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Uh, So my name is Jordan Bullock. Uh, I am a technical specialist and implementation consultant at TopCon Solutions. I recently joined their team over there and I'm extremely uh, excited uh, with what we're doing uh, in that side of the space. Um, so that's my profession. You know, on the back end, uh, I have done content creation in my past. I did YouTube for a little bit. Uh, I have been on a couple podcasts uh, just here and there for uh, fun, enjoyable things. I uh, am pretty well known in the Magic the Gathering space. Pittsburgh uh, is where I reside, and that has a pretty large uh, gaming community for Magic the Gathering. Um, in addition, though, I just have a really big passion for education. Uh, previously, I, I've worked uh, in management, uh, doing education for uh, the team underneath me, from engineering firms to kind of construction. And now with TopCon Solutions, I'm kind of able to give back within the space uh, through through education, which I'm super excited for.
0: Yeah, man. Um, your passion for education is one of the big things we wanted to chat about today. Dave and I have hit this on like a lot of episodes where we talk about how um, there's a lot of content out there, but there's not a lot of education. There's not a lot of uh, training the the people that getting people that want to be uh, that want a career, not necessarily in this. They don't know what they're looking for, but like getting them interested in what we do. But once they do, there's a lot of content out there, right or wrong. And so Dave and I are really uh, passionate about how to steer people in the right direction, not just for what we're doing today, but, you know, for the future and, and that sort of stuff. But you said something earlier that kind of hit home for me. So uh, I don't know if I told you this story, Jordan. Uh, one, I never played Magic, not not in my realm. Uh, can't knock you for it. But um, my first real dabbling with like coding and Bluebeam was a buddy of mine who was also – like a senior bim you know level guy he he's uh, he's big in that space primarily working with uh, electrical and sheet metal and stuff like that um he's a big uh, uh magic uh guy um uh, magic or D? sorry i'm conflating it is D&D. Don't, don't. it's okay there's it's a lot D&D. of overlap yep all right all right so it was D. sorry it was a dice roller that uh we helped create he he wanted to play uh he wanted to use a studio session to play online uh across the globe with a bunch of other uh like minded um <coughs> nerds i mean individuals'm uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry sorry I have my own nerd devices uh, that's just not one of them uh but but hey um that i don't know maybe one of these days you and I will sit down and I'm sure you'll rope me into something
2: yeah absolutely. As far
0: as the education side of your passions and um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you were in the BIM space, your technical implementation specialist, do a lot of that stuff. Uh, And education is a big passion for you. I know you sit on the board for some local uh, community colleges, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as well as um, you kind of just want to evangelize and create content and get people interested. Um, Have you had any experience creating content specifically for, uh, the industry before, or helping people with uh, implementations outside of, you know, working for uh, the company you're currently at.
2: Uh, I've definitely had experience working with with other companies adjacent. Um, one of the things I actually feel about passionately within the space is, um, I feel like a lot of companies sometimes are more diverse than they need to be. Uh, specifically talking about when we're when we're working on a particular project as, as a team, you know, uh, you have everyone from Uh, your civil guys, to your architects, to your engineers, um, and all of them sometimes are not working uh, together as closely as they should be. And one of the things I'm, I'm very passionate about is, is really reaching out and building those connections between those companies and starting to talk, uh, you know, amongst amongst team members, obviously you're working on the same project and trying to accomplish the same goals, making the, the building as efficient as possible uh, and really making it a, a special experience for those teams. But um, actually getting to know the people you're working working with, working uh, between those two companies and really building a closer relationship, especially with your local communities uh, within the AEC space, as well as other teams. So um, I I have worked in uh, management positions before where I had opportunities to work with other BIM managers across the space. Uh, I'm extremely happy and excited with what we're doing on the user group side, Joey, Uh, really getting out and meeting your local BIM Uh, teams and users within the space. And now that I'm in more of an educational position, that's one thing as we kind of go through and I'm meeting with more people in this space and and meeting people in this space, I'm extremely excited uh, to really start building those relationships and seeing, you know, who's doing what and trying to really bring the community together, whether that's just through my own personal connections or just encouraging other people to really kind of take a step out and get to know who you're working with and and realize that you guys are all on the same team. Because I, I think sometimes it's easy to overlook that within the space, uh, especially if something goes wrong or you're trying to fight over, uh, you know, where something should go. And uh, especially when you hit those coordination reviews, you know, who's right, who's wrong. Uh, it's just one of those silly little things that um, getting to know your teams and just being able to calm up, like, hey, can we shift this wall over, you know, an additional four inches to avoid something is extremely, you know, one something I'm just passionate about and really trying to uh, looking forward to hopefully pushing later on in the space.
0: Yeah. Communication and collaboration. Again, two big things we've chatted about in the past. Um, you know, we, we tend, Dave and I tend to lean on like tools like, uh, BIM collaborate pro or Autodesk construction cloud in general, uh, just cause that's in our wheelhouse stuff. We know, um, that said, um, have you seen any other tools out there that other people are using to help bridge that gap? Or do you feel that it's more about just taking an uh, initiative and making a phone call and, and, and chatting with them?
2: I definitely think calling up, uh, your local personnel or whoever you're collaborating with in, in kind of walking through the problems, just kind of showing them, um, you know using the software is great kind of jumping in there doing clash detections figuring out the most efficient ways to do that that way you can see the kind of the problems early uh, that's definitely helpful uh the software you know is always going to only ever going to be as good as the users using it so um, really being able to connect users and having a little bit more conversations i definitely think that that coordination collaboration like you were saying uh is definitely beneficial picking up the phone calling your person having a quick zoom call or a teams call uh, and just showing them what's going on and really making it feel like, you know, you're taking five teams and really making it one team that's working on the same project as opposed to, you know, five separate teams trying to accomplish the same building.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I completely agree, man. I mean, communication and collaboration, especially in the space, in the AEC industry in general, is is huge. Um, and, you know, Joey and I, we've talked about that on a lot of our different podcasts. We talk about it a lot every every day, I feel like. It's it's becoming a, a conversation on how we can, you know, bridge the gap, build the relationships between, you know, civil engineers and the, even, you know, the architect or um, someone, you know, digging a trench out for the utilities. Like it, it, it's every everyone on the project needs to be connected, and it's it's really having that, oh, uh, I guess that environment to you know collaborate in but also communicate with using tools in that environment um it's it's really really huge today i mean we we're seeing more benefit from a collaborative environment as well because at, at the end of the day you you're right it's it's one entire project you can separate it out as much as you want between you know earth moving or mep or architecture or structure what have you but it is all one project <laughs>
2: I 100% agree, yeah,
0: I, guess, I guess to that same point, man. Like, how many times have we been on a project or working with a customer only to hear that, ah, oh, you know, so and so only moved this, you know, two inches. Like, why are they doing it this way? It doesn't make sense. Or why do they put this here? It's like, well, have you asked them, like, why? Like, have, have you? You're saying that they're not understanding you, but have you taken the time to physically give them a call and acknowledge that, hey, look, this is an issue for me why are you doing it this way? And help me understand so that, one, it makes you more efficient at your job and, um, you you know, what to expect. And maybe you can educate them on, hey, if you only did it this way, it makes us a lot easier, a lot better. Now, I will say that we have seen a good
1: increase with that. We've seen over the past, I mean, in all reality, everyone, I mean, with COVID, COVID made us shift. It made us shift. It made a a need for more of a collaborative environment where people could work remotely and still be caught up and communicate in teams. Um, I mean, even to this day, Teams, Slack, there are so many different ways to enable that communication with your team, right? We're seeing we're seeing that is a big need, and that's that's been something that you know I think the industry has been taking head on. I think the other shift that you know, we need to, we need to also see is, is more of integration in terms of, you know, like software or hardware. Um, We're seeing, you know, the, the BIM industry has shifted, you know, obviously we, we label IFC, right? IFC is a a standardized file format. And I think, I think we're trying to figure out is that, you know, we're trying to figure out if that works. for That's not
0: enough, man. It's not enough.
1: It's, it's, it's not, you know, we're trying to work it into the clash detection and the coordination workflows, but we're, you know, a lot of times we realize we're missing one of the biggest keys, uh, you know, one of the biggest pieces, I guess, of that entire model. Yes, you may have the geometry, so you may be able to do clash detection, but do you know what that geometry may lack? Information. If it lacks any metadata at that point, you know it, it's it may be worth one piece. It may it may fit into one workflow, but then the other pieces, you know, the other tools within our BIM toolbox here, you know, that data just does not it does not work. And I think that's that's been all the way around, right? We're seeing you know DWG or what is it DXF? I think that DXF, is, yeah yeah I think that's that's the other kind of standardized, but <laughs> I don't know, man. I think, I
0: think we're struggling here, um, trying to look for a way to – Well, well, how, how do you – let me ask you this. I'm going to interrupt you to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. How do you do this without mandating software? Um, so, I mean, that's the big thing. So, like, even government agencies, like, they don't like to mandate software. They mandate no. processes. They might mandate an exchange format. They might mandate a lot of things, the deliverable – the software you use is is up, you know, it's usually up to you. So, like, you have to mandate a lot of things yep. um, to, to kind of get, because you almost have to be on the same the same program or there needs to be better interoperability. There's good interoperability between tools like Tecla and Revit because there's toggles to get that metadata into Revit. Um, so it, it's a more holistic workflow. But most IFCs that I come across, smart IFCs, they just don't exist. And Jordan, this is uh, probably going back to something you and I have chatted to in the past. I know that you've had some experience with some wonky IFCs working with files from other programs like ARCHICAD or whatever else is out there. I don't know what it is, man. But um, what was your experience in working with these
2: uh, interoperable file yeah, formats?
1: I was working with Jordan on that I, project. I was just
2: about to say, yeah, <laughs> David saved me a couple times there. So. um yeah, there was an interesting connection that David and I found between um, the Autodesk construction cloud and uh, the IFC formatting, where it just had had to be loaded in a little bit differently. Uh, we had to bring the IFC into basically a holding model in Revit uh, before it could be loaded into yep. uh, our model. And the, the issue we were running into is when we directly loaded the IFC through the cloud into our model, the IFC was was rotating a bunch of different directions every now and again, and, and it'd just be random times. It was a work-shared model, so d- it would depend on the person entering the model and whether or not they were syncing, and we were working with Autodesk Docs for that, just kind of loading the IFC in as a as a file as opposed to like a cloud-published uh, element, and yeah, they, it definitely ran into to some issues, but we got it figured out. So basically, you just had to put the IFC into a a uh, cloud published uh holding model actually David remind me was it did it even need to be cloud published yeah
1: it needed to be in a container model that was published and or saved and essentially we just inserted it as a, a attachment instead of an overlay and essentially from there you can create the shared positioning you know bring it in everything like that that you may need to i i found it's easier to um to utilize container models, or at least it, when you're starting to get some data like that, where you see it, you know, you see it shifting, things like that, um, it's easier to maintain that through a container model.
2: It, and Joey, you you brought up an interesting point about, uh, you know, the the softwares in general within the industry trying to collaborate within those and when people are using different soft file software types or you know bim types of software uh, and they're exporting to different file types and trying to bring that all in i really think that's just kind of a a one area that it can definitely be improved upon uh in in general but even just going back to what i was saying I, i think it's much simpler as as far as just you know during kickoff meetings really kind of taking note of your team uh kind of meeting other people within the company and really spending in, you know, anyone in the industry is going to tell you straight up, you know, we we don't have enough time. We're all, you know, grinding uh, through projects and trying to get things done as efficiently as possible. I, I know kickoff meetings sometimes as well. Like, You know, that those take time to get up to speed on everything, but really getting to know the companies you're working with on a a regular basis and knowing the people you're working with, you, you know, that's as simple as, like we were saying earlier, you know, picking up the phone and calling. How many of these projects, even small projects on a building design, you're working through a space, all of a sudden you come up. And as you're working through and thinking about your design, you find this one issue in this one sector and, you know, you might circle that or write a little note and then you might not have another, you know, coordination meeting with the team until a week or two later, you know, a week or two later, you're going to remember that small issue. If you have that relationship and it's like an architecture and a mechanical issue where a piece of ductwork's coming through, maybe a wall is crossing over uh, at a corner or something like that. If you have that relationship, that might be as quick as like hey, I know we have a meeting in a couple weeks, but you pick up the phone, you call, uh, let's just say Kate, and I pick up the phone, I call Kate, and I say, hey, Kate, uh, I'm running into this issue with this piece of ductwork over this wall, you know, do you foresee any issues if we just shift the wall over a couple inches? And then, you know, you quickly take care of that between the two parties, a note's put down for the next coordination meeting, and then, you know, an announcement can be made then. Um, But just kind of increasing, everyone's trying to be more efficient on projects. So, Even just having that relationship, being able to coordinate and making sure uh, even teams or certain platforms, getting everyone kind of in like a a general project chat. I've seen this in the architectural space where when architects are leading projects, they're actually leaning more towards uh, collaborative environments where just quick chats back and forth or certain sectors of the building are kind of broken out into channels and you're able to kind of coordinate and really collaborate just through quick message channels and and chats back and forth with with the entire, you know, MEP, FP, structural, architects, civil, everyone's kind of in that environment and really seeing the project kind of come to life in real time. And just being able to organize that information, I think helps everyone and, and really speeds up that process as we get more and more into. Uh, kind of, you know, a unifying BIM space, really trying to maximize the efficiencies of these projects.
0: Yes, sir. So, um, uh, well, I guess two things. One, uh, I think architecture firms, they, they a lot, their communication and collaboration aspects, especially larger firms, they're really well set up for that specifically. They have like. Uh, at least the larger firms that I've interacted with, you know, they have like separate studios, and each studio focuses on uh, a project or a piece of the project. They're not afraid of, you know, communication technology. Every one of them I know uses Slack. And I guess the second one is we must know the same Kate because one of the Kates I know, she, she, she has no problem with any of that stuff, and she'll
2: just, she'll just do it. So good example. Hey, I, I'm Kate's the first name that came to mind, but yeah, Kate, Kate is a real person. Hey, Kate uh you don't have to say it uh where she
0: works but i'm assuming she works for an architecture firm uh yes sir here in pittsburgh uh
2: yes sir we're talking about the same kate Perfect. we're talking about the same kate i think we've had this conversation <laughs> prior to oh, okay, cool.
0: <laughs> i love it man i love it uh,
2: but this uh, the increasing collaborative environments i i think has really helped a lot of people really see that that communication workflow uh it, just increase and the efficiency of things are increasing as well Um, with the Autodesk Construction Cloud and and the BIM 360 side and everything on, on that end. Really seeing projects come to life and, and things happening in real time, especially uh, as much as I personally do not like it, even live linking models through the cloud. And it really oh. seeing the project come to life entirely, just increasing that communication or having those channels is extremely important in kind of the era within the industry that we're moving into. Uh, yes. And I, I'm just super excited excited to be able to kind of go out and share my my thoughts and opinions on on this and be able to hopefully pull everyone together a little bit more uh and even possibly use the podcast to talk talk on stuff like this
1: yeah dude Uh, i mean it's perfect man when i saw when i saw the issues add-in that came out like i was ecstatic with live linking models and being able to Create an issue, have like an orb that actually populates in my model to show me exactly what they're talking about and the placement of it, and you know, that in the sense of management, being able to track the status of that because of course, you know, well, I mean, I I could say back in my day at this point, but when I first got in, dude, we were printing we were printing sets, we were printing you know, eight and a half by eleven or eleven by seventeen sets for an architect or engineer to go through and redline and then they're handing it back to you and you're trying to go through and highlight or fix anything that, you know, they redlined in there. I'm all about communication, like especially when we can talk about enabling it between the actual models or, or the drawings or, or that CDE kind of space where everybody can communicate with each other, or, you know, Slack or Teams or what have you. But it's huge when you bring it into the actual design software itself. You know what I mean? Like, yes, Zoom calls, teams where we can share our screen, all that kind of stuff is awesome. But it was it, I, I feel like it's an, an amazing piece when you can actually navigate people through with you. You know what I mean? Whether it's the viewer um, in in ACC or if we want to talk about Bluebeam, you know, being in a studio session and actually being able to follow someone through a PDF set as there They're talking about markups or, you know, specific places where they've highlighted things. I mean, any way that you can help with the navigation and everybody keeping on the same page, I think while you're, you know, of course, talking about what needs to happen, the changes, I think the better, right? It's going to help everybody's experience at that point.
0: you're making it contextualized like when you have a drawing up front and you're saving time right we're not revisiting this on a zoom call then i have to go back to my computer and then make those edits you know right then and there it's it's just easier to deal with um so i'm with you there um so when jordan uh he mentioned something about um i lost my thought here but uh (laughs) It was, it was before, like when you first started talking, we were talking about um, – oh, I know exactly what we were talking about. We were talking about live linking, and yes. um, I feel like this is kind of important to talk about. When we talk about live linking, it really depends on two things. It depends on the contract type, right? Are we talking IPD? Are we talking, you know, design bid build? What, what is the process, and why do, you, why do you need to see that data when you need to see it? So there's that. And then the other side of that um, with live <laughs> linking, the, the biggest piece for me is – where are we at in the project? So an architect who's still going through conceptual, we don't need to see that stuff. For me, where it really makes sense is um, the MEPs already laid in the engineering side, right? It has already been laid in. Um, the subcontractors, if we're not talking concurrent engineering, those subcontractors get involved a little bit later. Uh, but, you know, stuff is still being tweaked, changes are being made, um, you know, but the changes are less so than – you know, where they would be if the architect was, you know, still making heavy changes. And the reason why is uh, most MEP firms are creating duplicate data. They're updating a model, but they're also updating fabrication software that isn't not necessarily tied together.
1: Yeah. Now, I mean, there's so one other piece I feel like we'd have to talk about is 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 really breaking down the term of live linking here, because in all reality, it's not a live link. I mean, you're still looking for the published model, right? If we're in a if we're in a centralized cloud work shared model, every time you synchronize, it's not it's not sending that data over into that link. It's only when that data is actually published, that version changes that it actually updates that link going into, let's say, our, our centralized Revit model that we're working in. Um, so
2: David, unfortunately, I, I I do need to interrupt. So um, yeah. I I have experience in the industry where um, I I prefer the published linking um, se- segment of BIM mm-hmm. 360 or or the ACC. Um, there are actually a a large number of firms that have been working with Autodesk and uh, actually live linking working models together. So I've actually seen an increased number of architectural firms kind of request that, uh, where all firms are linking their working models together and they're calling it live linking, where they're essentially every single time you hit that sync button, you are getting updated data across the entire project.
0: Because all parties are all on the same team. So in order for it to work, everybody has to be given access to everybody's team. Uh, so, not just through publish, but through the actual team link so you 're adding people to your team uh the the team link essentially it it 's a horrible workflow in my mind just because of well I, I say horrible it 's not a horrible workflow it depends on the the contract type the the work that 's being performed and how and and where we are in the process um, this is this is something that Autodesk was actually um, I won't say requiring or mandating, but it was the the preferred workflow that they were pushing on people was the true live linking workflow. Uh, and it was just it created so many problems. That's not uh, done who on. owns the 60 or ACC, Sorry. though, right?
2: Say that again.
1: The live linking isn't done on ACC or BIM 360, though, it, right? It is. Yeah, it's done through Correct.
2: Uh it, Can I actually talk on this for a couple of minutes?
1: Yeah, well, because I'm, curi- I'm I'm really curious on that. Point. All you man, go ahead. Yeah. So, you, so what I've seen mean is it, it it when when you're collaborer when you're working in the centralized model, there's a third server, almost like the skyscraper server in the back, and when everybody's linking in their Revit models or when it's published, that's when it goes into the BIM 360 or ACC server but so what you're saying is they're actually tying into that that third server and actually bringing everybody like as soon as they synchronize it's updating that model's link into everybody else's revit model instantaneously
2: yes Yes. uh yeah so so what i what i've run into is um and i I don't think this is something that Autodesk first saw when they first kind of created the BIM 360. And uh, of course, when COVID happened, there was this big push to move to cloud collaborations because everyone's VPN, you know, you're trying to squeeze an entire hotel building of workflow through a, a very small VPN channel out to all your people that you're on with work sharing and everyone's trying to sync and not lose internet connection. And there was this very large push when COVID occurred. To really get into the cloud, well, uh, luckily Autodesk had that solution, and that was uh, the BIM 360 at the time, and since then has uh, slowly become the Autodesk Construction Cloud, which is the platform on the on the back end of BIM 360. But um, when Autodesk was selling this product, they were talking about the efficiency within the workflows uh, that teams can achieve essentially by working off of one server so this goes back to what Joey was saying with contract type if everyone is working for the architect and the architect has the main contract with the owner uh, Autodesk explained to the architects that they were pushing these two that oh everyone can work off your BIM 360 account and essentially you just invite them into the project and then As long as they have BIM 360, they can basically be publishing. If not, you can upload files, you can workflow back and forth. What that eventually led to is is the more people that got onto the BIM 360 and ACC uh, environment, the architects in their contract or in their BIM execution plans were requesting that all other firms keep their working models on the architect's BIM 360 account once the project was invited, and something I red flagged a little bit early on was um, just a general concern about intellectual property and where the contract types kind of begin and end. Because uh, yes. what I noticed was son- suddenly all these structural teams and MEP teams and uh, you know just anyone in addition that wasn't directly in line with the architect uh, was working off the architect's server. Well the way yes. BIM 360, and I, I think a lot of owners don't know a lot necessarily about uh, this unless they're in the technical space and really kind of digging in. And the change drastically happened so quickly in the AEC space that uh, not a lot of people, everyone was just like, hey, this is a new workflow. Hey, we're just going to do it like this. So everyone jumped on to the, you know, the architects or whoever was kind of guiding the project server. Well, what this leads to is, is kind of a conflict of really intellectual property of, of your working models. And yeah. once your working model is on someone else's server, they're and again, I'm not saying anyone would ever do this, but th- there's nothing stopping whoever owns that server you're from right. just shutting down access.
1: Yes, you're completely right. They can shut down access. They can. Re- and that's why we've seen the bridge tool become as as big as it has um, within within the construction cloud because of that, in all honesty. Um, there was a huge thing about intellectual property because you're right. At that point, you can download the source file, but you don't own that data. Whoever owns that project or that space, they, they own the data in that project.
2: A hundred percent. And the, so what eventually stemmed to this as well was, okay, everyone's working off of the same server. What some architects figured out was, well, we don't have to go through the shared design collaboration publish we can just live link everyone's working models together. And that's what kind of stemmed this whole live linking process was once um, once certain architectural firms... It, 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 okay, I, so... Go ahead, yep. I was going to ask, are you... So when you, when you say publish, are you meaning
1: the design collaboration module publish? Like when you're, you know, publishing a package and then you share it out? Or are you talking about when you actually inside of Revit when you go to publish Revit model and you update the version inside of BIM 360 or ACC?
2: Yeah, so so great question, because this is something I've had to explain to a lot of people because it's a very confusing they're two, they're su- very, subject.
1: Exactly. Yes.
2: There, there's technically three ways you can link on uh, BIM 360 or the ACC. Uh, mm. The first way is basically live linking. That's where you are literally linking through the cloud. And that link is every time you press sync. So if you're in the architectural model, you press sync. If someone else has that live linked into, let's say the mechanical model, the as soon as the sync happens on the architectural model, that mechanical designer is getting that change. And that can be anything from, hey, the architects in the middle of something and going to lunch, so they just hit sync real quick and they walk away from their computer, all of a sudden a wall shifts and boom, there, there's issues within the model. So. Um, that that's my explanation of live linking is direct sync communication between model to model. Um, and it, that can lead to a lot of problems whenever you're still in the collaboration space. Once you're at full 100% CD construction drawings, I think there's a little bit more of an, uh, okay with that because then essentially anything that happens during the revision phase can then be uh, accomplished a little bit easier between everyone because everyone knows a little bit what's about what's going on. Um, the second way to essentially link models together is by publishing a model to BIM 360, and that's essentially when it's updating the version from, you know, one to two, two to three. That publish uh, is a, basically a backup of the model itself. However, you can see yeah. those versions change through the Autodesk Construction Application, and this would be like yeah. linking a file into your model, and that is one oh. publish way. Go ahead.
1: So if I can, I, I want to ask you where, where, where do you link the like that current? Is it is it you're on? So you're on the same team. Um, where are you linking from when you go to insert, you know, link Revit? Is that happening within
2: that team space within Docs? So or? if, yeah, that, that's a good good question for that live link. Um, so when you're in a model, if the models all need to be cloud published models in order to achieve that live link. So as long as everyone's models are published through Revit to the cloud server, that cloud server has the communication within uh, the Docs environment that's that's directly to to uh, directly from cloud to cloud. So when okay. you go to manage links and load. It actually takes you to an area that's called external references, and that external yeah. reference is a direct communication yeah. to the cloud environment and can only see other sister cloud published models. Yes. So once once that's linked together, that's the live linking that's occurring That's every single time you press sync, it it's sending updates to ev- everyone that has that model linked in lively through that external reference.
1: Roger that, yes, because otherwise, if it's a non-work shared model, they go to insert link model, they go through docs, and then they would go ahead and, and pull that in that way. But since it's work shared, it goes through external resources. So that Correct. external resources is actually making that the live link. Correct. And then you're talking about the – so I think in, in your, in your um, kind of situation there, as you were saying, the second way is to publish – Um, to BIM 360 or ACC that updates the version. What was your third way?
2: Correct. So then the third way is actually, uh, I call it packaging, just to use a different term. But that is publishing the model to BIM 360 and then packaging it through design collaboration and releasing a set. And this essentially would be, uh, it would go to a mutual shared folder between teams And then people uh have the shared folder linked in so this is a way where people can still publish without actually releasing documents until they actually want to so this kind of goes to the traditional way of, of a lot of companies used bim essentially is hey, an SD set or a de set is coming up or even just a stop and plot. We want to do a model exchange, kind of see where everyone's at. Design collaboration on BIM 360 or ACC gives you that kind of tool where you can package things together and then release that package at certain intervals of the project.
0: Yes. Now, in the packages they're... we think about in terms more of like milestones.
2: Yes. Not like you were
0: saying, you know, set, release,
1: that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say the only the only other thing I would add there is it, it also benefits anyone managing the data for the team because as Jordan um, referenced there, when you do publish or when you share a package within design collaboration, it goes to that shared folder. But for um, let's say managers of that team, whoever's designing in that case, they can actually go through Um, investigate that data, make sure it actually, um, let's say, is something that they want to add to their team space, and they can choose to consume that. And when they consume that package, it actually goes into that consume folder um, within their team folder, their team space itself. So there is a way that you can actually manage uh, the flow of that. Like The packaging, I feel like, is, is very awesome when you're trying to like you said, control that stream of data. And if you're trying to, let's say, control what you're pulling into your team, um, if you're not wanting to exactly live link, but you're not also wanting to pull it in every time that version updates, you have that cape or they have that capability of um, consuming that package of data while exploring it. And then of course, choosing to consume it. So they could also link it in from that consumed folder within their
2: team space. Yeah, and so something you brought up a few minutes ago um, that I am super excited that Autodesk released was actually the bridge tool. Um, so what the the issue we ran into previously and something I kind of red flagged and a lot of firms were kind of running into once they realized, hey, our, our models are on someone else's server and we don't necessarily own that server. Um, so a lot, there's a lot of danger there. Um, and what Autodesk essentially did was it created a bridge tool on the Autodesk construction cloud Um, The bridge tool is not accessible from my understanding on on BIM 360 just because the formatting is a little different. But any Autodesk Construction Cloud project um, is able to bridge from one server to another. So You're able to still streamline the connection of data, but essentially if company one has a server on the ACC and company two has a server on the ACC, that bridge will let you exchange a folder, a common folder between each site, and then you're able to link to the other person's essentially shared folder, which allows you to release packages and exchange data still uniformly. And one thing we keep saying is is packaging publish. One of the things that really incentivized a lot of people um, on BIM 360 or the ACC was as soon as that package is released, all people need to do is receive that data and it's all automatic. You're already linked to that folder your updates are occurring automatically so what it does is it takes the manual process of receiving data or sending data between companies it takes that out so it allows everyone just to release a package and it's a a couple buttons it clicks and boom everyone has that updated data and that was one of the incentives to actually using those tools but with the interop interoperability uh, between sites with this bridge tool you're able to still own your models. You don't have to work off someone else's server, but you can still get that common update and share of data across companies uh, pretty seamlessly. Uh, So I'm super excited that Autodesk released that bridge feature within it. Uh, And I'm hoping to kind of go through and and help people understand that a little bit better. Uh, It's really hard to understand without diagrams. So if you're a little lost or confused, I 100% feel you. Uh, But just bear with us (laughs) as we kind of get through the rest of this conversation. And uh, you know, you, you can always call me up or shoot me an email if, if you want a copy of a couple diagrams. I was going to we'll, say, uh, we'll, we'll add to
0: that real quick. We'll, we'll have yeah, you do 12. the write-up. <laughs> yeah. With the diagrams.
2: Awesome. Yes. Perfect. I was
1: going to say, they've actually added a couple features to that recently. Well, at least being able to publish sheets now with markups and everything like that. So they're adding the... um. Uh, I know they're adding the the ex, you know Joey you tagged me in that API export um the the sheets API exporting and things like exporting API um but now with build they're lo- or not with just build in general with ACC and and build we could publish and bridge those uh files but we're also looking at bridging sheets and I love the fact that you can bridge, you can set up those folder automations. Now, one thing that people, you need to look at when you're doing that is anything that goes in that folder, the documents, the models that are in that folder, when they're updated, it'll be pushed across, right? But any subfolders that are located underneath that, they won't, anything under that, they won't bridge over like any files, anything like that. So it's really important to look at how you're organizing the files and the models underneath that file that you're bridging over because of how the automations can be set up. Otherwise you're just bridging individual files.
0: I think the other point to make on the bridge though, is it goes beyond, um, the design side, which is obviously something we focus quite a bit on because of our, you know, BIM, BIM focus. But that said, um, we, you know, as we talk about, uh, construction management tools and stuff like that, being able to bridge across platforms, historically, what, what's been done is, you know, the GC has their tool or the owner has a tool. Uh, and then everybody's expected to, you know, utilize pieces of that tool, but being able to cross, like have your own tool as a subcontractor, or whoever that's involved in the project, and then just connect to somebody else's tool. Um, and just share data that way. That way you're not duplicating RFIs and submittals and data, you know, that data that gets lost between um, stuff. You're still manda- managing it on your side because the last thing you want to do is connect a construction management platform to, an ER, to your internal ERP when it's an external construction management platform for somebody else. So these bridge tools and the interoperability that, you know, that we've seen and hopefully more that's coming uh, is very crucial to the industry as a whole beyond design.
1: Oh, I completely agree. I mean, we're seeing a case, and I, I can't say exactly, um, but I did sit on a, on a webinar the other day where they talked about some other improvements that are coming um, to connecting that construction data, whether it's RFIs or submittals that have been closed, um, being able to, you know, be pushed out, or the benefit of pushing those to other accounts um, because that that is huge, being able to track that because as you said, a lot of times, um, let's say the GC will use a tool and the subcontractor will use a tool. We've got to find a way to make them communicate, you know, if they're not directly going to integrate.
0: RFIs, PCOs, communication and collaboration. Those are the, you know, that's what we need across, across the board. They all need to talk. Yes, sir. hundred percent agree. Um, so before we got into this, we were chatting about, um, before we hit record we're talking about other uh interesting trends that are going on in the industry jordan and um i know you've worked for engineering firms and stuff like that what is your familiarity you know just to segue out of uh the construction management and you know collaboration side
2: what is your experience with rendering softwares so i'm actually uh a little bit weak on rendering softwares however uh something i i kind of caught my eye and I am looking into uh a lot more is uh Autodesk actually re- is partnering with Unreal Games and working on uh a, a software called Twin Motion. And essentially what Twin Motion is, is it, it Twin Motion is based off of Unreal Games, which uh remind me what what's the parent company? Is it real? Epic Games. E- Epic Games. Yes. Yeah, so, I think
0: Unreal is not the same as, or is Unreal Twin Motion? Uh, this is how green I am, man. For no,
2: it, it's okay. Yeah, this is a, this is all a newer a newer partnership. I think it was announced uh, back in September, but um, Autodesk essentially released a a new software that is free for anyone that has a full seat of of Revit or the AEC collection. It's in uh, your AEC collection right now. It's called Twinmotion, and essentially what Twinmotion is, it uses, uh, it uses, sorry, I'm trying to get my words correct. Uh, It uses gaming software backend and provides you with the capability of kind of rendering the foreground and background uh, of your Revit model. So essentially what you can do is you can export a Revit model out. Right. Go ahead. What'd you say?
1: kind of like what Stingray used to be
0: when we had the Revit Viewer, and, and I think. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about the same thing. It's it's that, but on steroids, because it's it's video games, man. Like, have you? Are a video gamer, dude? Playing Call of Duty? That when they're well, I mean, loading, yeah. so, that mean, real. If we're if we're talking
1: like 007 Goldeneye, I think Steel, or, I, I think I think Stingray. <laughs> or, you know, Revit Live. I think
0: well, I think. Well, it stay tuned. Double- they're coming out with another 007 Goldeneye. I'm already excited <laughs> for it. Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry to derail the conversation.
1: <laughs>
2: no, you're you're good. You're good. So so yes, Tw- Twinmotion is essentially a gaming rendering software and it allows you to take your Revit model in uh, all the materials, essentially that your Revit model has, export it out and bring it into this gaming software. This uh, Twinmotion software has its own material packages. It has a ton of preloaded content within it. Um, it's all cloud-based, so essentially you're just pulling directly from uh, an internet connection. And basically, picture. Uh, simplifying it down, not necessarily Call of call Duty level, but picture it basically when you're building a house on on Sims is really what it kind of looked like. Uh, you're able to kind of okay. go through your your painting tree. It, I say painting in a general term. You, you have a Bob paint, Ross. <laughs> yeah, 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 Bob Ross painting trees uh, in the background. Um, a little heavy you, you, you have a you have a paintbrush where you can grab a tool. You can you can actually. Uh, Build very specific group combinations. So one of the unique features, uh, they were building a a forest, and they were able to grab uh, shrubbery, a couple different tree types, and uh, a couple just random, you know, sticks or branches. And in this paint tool, it painted the group, so it actually randomized the content within the group, and they were able to kind of paint through and make the forest extremely realistic. So if you have a model or a rendering that you're able to do, or you want to do um, this gives you a whole new level of capabilities within the gaming uh, software, essentially of twin motion. You're also able to add in moving features. So if you want car paths, you can move, uh, you can have a car drive through, people walking, people talking, and in a few minutes you quickly have this entire rendering graphic and capabilities. There's a huge material library package as well, and it will interact with your Revit model um to the extent of the the Revit model that you loaded in you can change the material types of that model once it's in twin motion um I asked the question I don't recall if I got an answer to it um, but I did ask if the changed material library could be re-exported out to uh, essentially Revit that way the material types that were changed stay the same I I don't know if it can do that but I can we can definitely look into that um but yeah, Twin Motion just changes the game. And while I personally haven't had an experience before in, in rendering, this really excited me. Just uh, it seems really intuitive and easy to use. It's free for anyone that has Revit or the AEC collection at the moment. And it's something huge that's coming to the industry in the coming months.
0: I'd be curious Are you, um, if
1: it would if it be VR at all or AR, MR. Um, if it oh, yeah. yeah.
2: To- I believe it does. Yeah, they, they were yeah, saying. It does. Yep. So that
0: was the big push for it. Is uh, so Autodesk has acquired uh, um, uh, the Wild uh, VR company. Um, and I think with that was another one. Uh, maybe it was tied together. I don't remember, but I believe there was two different VR applications. In um, any ways, the the whole big you know thing is, hey, let's get into rendering. Let's tie this to VR. Autodesk's foray with the uh, Stingray engine, and even 3DS Max and Maya. So for those that have experience uh, rendering, they're probably not um, unfamiliar, I guess I would say, with the tools used in um, video games and movies and stuff. Because, I mean, those are 3DS Max, Maya. Those are those are tools that are, are pretty synonymous. What they're giving us, though, with uh, Twinmotion, though, is cloud. Um, rendering, you know, stuff like that. So uh, you're not, you know, having to build a server farm and you know, cripple a bunch of machines. Um, also, they're giving you a cleaner UI, ease of use. All this stuff is pretty um, easy. Where you don't have to be a specialist in de- in developing video games. They're they're you know they're pretty easy to use tools. Um, like Jordan was saying, you know, grouping and, and, and the whatnot. I think. Um, there's a story to be told here as a whole package, and creating uh, content from Revit, pushing it up through um, uh, Twinmotion, and creating that a- a- AR, VR connectivity. Um, and I, I don't know, I haven't seen anything yet outside of uh, some buddies at Autodesk putting together some content, but I think I think there's some really cool stuff that we could show off between them all if you guys are up for it. 100%. Yeah. Or, or I'll do it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> no,
1: I, no, I, Oh, I didn't, <laughs> I, I was, I was waiting for somebody to say something. I, I said, I'm down, I'm down
2: to yeah, try it. I think, I think we all blipped out for a second, but yeah, no, a hundred percent. Uh, it sounds great, Joey.
0: Well, perfect. Well, I don't know about you guys, but, um, I think my afternoon chores are starting to catch up to me now. And this has been a great episode. I, I don't know how much further you guys want to take it, but I'm, I'm happy where we are and I look forward to, uh, uh creating more content with uh, Jordan now on board and getting more regular um, schedules with our episodes. Thank you. Yeah.
2: yeah, I'm super excited and grateful to to be here. I want to thank you both for obviously having me on. I, I do want to say one final thing, and and this is more just me talking a little bit more personally so the the audience knows me. Uh, thank you. Obviously, if you guys have gotten this far in the episode, uh, I do have a chance to, uh ramble every now and again so hopefully joey and david will uh keep me you know in tune there um i have a personal slogan that i, I try to accomplish so uh, i i am a highly uh, educational enthusiast I, I encourage education with the in the space i encourage uh any employer i talk to to always try to be giving back to uh you know their employees and i'm sure we could have an entire conversation just on this um, but i do have a very simple slogan um, that's just called learn, grow, educate, and it's just those three words. Um, essentially, what I personally feel is that we have a responsibility to kind of go out and can you know continue growing, continue learning new things. So that's why the first word is learn. Uh, you know, the more you learn, the more you'll grow, which is you know the second word. And finally, I I think we have a personal responsibility to kind of go back and provide value in the industry and really educate others on on things we've learned. Really, that's the only way to transfer information and share wisdom throughout the space. So um, as I continue to to work with Joey and David on the podcast, I really look forward to to really implementing and not just learning from, you know, David and Joey, but continue to grow personally and hope, hopefully bringing more value and education uh, to the pr- podcast as we kind of move throughout the space, learn. The AAC industry is huge, and uh, we're hoping to have more people on that kind of are little experts within their industry um, or big experts within their uh, areas. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in coming on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to any three of us. Uh, we're more than happy to have you and give you a platform where you can talk. We're constantly learning. We're constantly growing. And uh, I'm excited to to just give back to the community. That is
0: well articulated. I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you all for your time. and. I'm looking forward to the next episode.
2: Thank you, David. Thank you, Jerry.